Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. In the Bay, it seems like everyone wants to see solutions to the issue of homelessness, unless that solution is in their backyard. That's how many people in San Jose are feeling about emergency interim housing, which its mayor, Matt Mahan, has been pushing as a more cost-effective way to help get people out of homelessness faster. But getting housed neighbors to buy in isn't just an important hurdle for city officials, but a pretty big one. Resident fears have been incredibly important in shaping how this policy has played out. We've actually seen interim housing sites proposed and then completely scrapped due to resident pushback. Residents say they're afraid of an increase in crime, trash, and drug use if interim housing gets built near their homes and schools. Today, the power of resident pushback on interim housing in San Jose and what the evidence says about whether their fears are legit. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.
Emergency interim housing, these temporary sites for the homeless, it's one of the tools for reducing homelessness that local governments are using here in the South Bay. Guy Marzarati is a politics and government correspondent for KQED. He also produces the Political Breakdown podcast. These are meant to be temporary structures that kind of look like small studio apartments. They're often built from shipping containers on land that's not currently being used, and they include services on site for the residents. And they've really taken on a big role in San Jose's response to homelessness because, number one, the county government, Santa Clara County, has taken the lead on other approaches like building permanent apartment buildings, distributing rental vouchers. Um, And so the city is really focused on these temporary sites. And secondly, because the city's mayor, Matt Mahan, he really ran on this emergency interim housing program in last year's mayor's race. It's truly a humanitarian crisis, and we need to start acting like it. So Mahan's argument in the campaign against Santa Clara County Supervisor Cindy Chavez was that South Bay politicians like Chavez had basically put too much focus on building these, you know, permanent supportive housing. He argued these take too long to get built, they're too expensive, and city government instead should be really be pivoting towards focusing on getting these quick build housing up and running for folks who might currently be living on the street or might be uh, in congregate shelters. But if we overemphasize those longer term, very expensive, very slow to deploy solutions, we condemn thousands of people to live and in many cases literally die on our streets. So what are the city's plans for this kind of housing exactly? How much emergency interim housing are we talking about building in the next few years? Right. So there's the six sites that have opened since 2020, a couple more that are actually in the pipeline. Overall, the city has approved a thousand beds of this, what they call emergency interim housing. The goal was actually to have those a thousand beds open up and you know running by the end of this calendar year. So basically, that would mean, you know, roughly 500 more opening in 2023. How has the city been doing when it comes to reaching those goals? Well, when it comes to this temporary housing, they're actually falling behind. In Mayor Mahan's initial budget proposal that was approved by the council, he directed the city staff to, again, meet that goal by opening 500 more emergency interim housing uh, beds this year. But at a council meeting in March, city staff actually came back and said, there's probably only going to be one temporary site opening this year. They've said, you know, the other sites that are in the pipeline, negotiations, the planning for them is just happening too slowly, and we won't see those open till 2024. This being said, actually, when I uh, tweeted out this news, the mayor responded and said he's confident you'll see other units come online this year. He says there's a lot of things in the work in the pipeline. Not clear if he was referring to actually speeding up those negotiations and plans to getting emergency uh, interim housing built or other options for, you know, providing temporary housing for the homeless, whether that be in, you know, safe RV sites or uh, other ways of getting folks off the street, but something short of a permanent uh, residence. What have been the roadblocks to building this interim housing? Why is San Jose falling behind? Well, one really clear roadblock has been from San Jose residents. Our communities hold no ill will towards the homeless. We feel for them. We are not against anything. We're not opposed to get uh, unhoused on their feet. I'm not discriminating against those who identify as homeless. That's something you hear again and again. 
they come up to the microphone, they say, you got to understand, I'm not against the homeless. I don't want to see them on the street. But this specific site that you're proposing, it's too close to my home. The site is really close to the school. It's not the right living place for human beings. The vulnerability of women in proximity to homeless. My future children may never experience the same sense of safety and freedom that I felt. Many different kind of projects get pushback from residents, whether it's a luxury apartment building, whether it's a apartment building for formerly unhoused individuals, you're going to get pushback. But a lot of folks I talk to for this story who are in the development world say there's something particular about projects for people exiting homelessness, especially ones that are billed as temporary, that really bring out the pitchforks. We've actually seen uh, interim housing sites proposed and then completely scrapped due to resident pushback, the most notable of which was in North San Jose, where you had uh, a lot of uh, residents get organized around opposition to the site on Noble Avenue. Um, you also had one in Mahan's district in South San Jose while he was a council member. Mahan voted against both of those uh, proposals. They came up as part of a larger package of, of interim sites uh, last summer during the course of a mayoral campaign when he was arguing that this is really the, the should be the city's focus to reducing homelessness. Now, he's argued those sites didn't go through the proper community engagement. But I think the question remains, there is a really clear political incentive oftentimes to oppose these kind of projects. I know you talked with a business owner about an interim housing site being built near his business. What were his feelings about the interim housing site when it was first being proposed? Yeah, so Rick Odario runs a flooring business uh, right off Almaden Expressway. I have been with Conklin Brothers my entire life. This is my 52nd year, and I've been working at this building for 35 years. Back in 2016, when temporary housing was, was first proposed, he said he felt like the neighborhood was ready, as he said, under siege. So I would say it was probably four or five years where it was just terrible here. You know, there were, there were guns fired at night. There was gangs. There was people roaming the streets. It was a really terrifying time for us. I was... He describes, you know, having to build this huge chain link fence around his business and, you know, employees being worried about going out to lunch uh, down the street at a subway. So we put fences around the property and I put barbed wire on the top and it looked terrible. It looked like a prison. So... He's part of a group that organized against this temporary housing. Odario, you know, fired off angry emails uh, to city planners, basically saying, like, now this on top of everything else. Um, but eventually the site was approved by the city council. And after a few years of funding issues, it finally opened its doors in 2021. So people like Rick have feared this increase in crime and drug use and litter as a result of these interim housing sites. But of course, a few of them have already been built. Do we know anything about how legit these fears are as it relates to these interim housing sites? So our analysis of city data show that a lot of these concerns don't pan out. We basically looked at complaints and calls regarding a litany of issues that are, you know, common complaints around these homeless housing sites and found that things like, you know, calls to police about property crimes, drug crimes around the sites actually decreased in the year after the sites opened. 
Same thing about calls for fires, for example. Same thing about calls about illegal dumping and graffiti. The really the only area where we saw a meaningful rise in these kind of emergency calls was for EMS. And the way that officials with the city's parks department described it is basically this is a you know vulnerable population already moving into these uh, housing sites that might need more medical care. But overall, the big picture is many of these things that residents say are going to become daily issues in their neighborhoods have not panned out. And ultimately, we're seeing fewer of these complaints after these sites open. Well, Guy, I want to talk about how these sites are actually working for the folks that they were built to help. I know you've actually been to the interim housing site on Evans Lane near Rick's work. How does it look? It looks really nice. Um, And I would say that there's two kinds of temporary housing sites in San Jose. Some that were built early in the process were more like sheds. But most of them are like this site that I went to on Evans Lane, which are, you know, built from pre-existing shipping containers. And basically when you're on the inside, look kind of like a studio apartment. We have a, a laundry room. They give us all the toiletries we need. We need dish soap, we need wash soap, we need everything. We have. So I talked to Amanda Mora. She moved uh, into this uh, interim housing site on Evans Lane in 2021. So we've been here a little over a year. Her family came from the Central Valley. Her daughter got in a, a serious car accident and had to be rushed to Stanford. They hit a tree. She was flown here to Palo Alto. When she so was I finally out of the hospital, Mora and her daughter basically had nowhere to go. So I lost everything over there because I came straight with her and we were in there for two months. So we absolutely had nothing. We came with. They, you know, looked around, stayed in some temporary spaces. Eventually, she was able to get placed uh, into this Evans Lane facility. Her son also joined as well. She said this has been life changing, both just the stability of having this apartment, this roof over their heads, this privacy, um, in addition to the services that she's able to, to interact with. There's still babies, and this place has put me ahead. I have accomplished more here in the last six months that I've been here than I have in the last 10 years. And I, you know, recently checked back in with how she's doing at this site and learned that she's going to be leaving soon. She's gotten a a rental voucher um, and is excited to be, you know, taking her her two kids um, into a place that will be more of a permanent space for them to live. Okay, guys, so it seems like this interim housing site has really helped at least Amanda in her search for a more permanent housing. And also the data shows that these sites don't really attract crime. I want to come back to Rick, who was afraid of what would happen after this site was built near his business. What does he think about it now? I, you know, talked to him. This is, you know, years after he was really, you know, engaged with the city on this temporary housing getting approved. And he said he really hasn't even noticed it. You know, until you called, I really haven't even given it much thought, right? They were just our neighbor. It's been open next door to his flooring business since 2021. Basically haven't noticed. And this is something that's literally feet away from his business. Hasn't seen any kind of the, the crime or the, you know, drug use. All the kind of fears that you often hear from opponents of these kind of temporary housing facilities. Like this is going to totally reshape our neighborhood. Rick says he really hasn't noticed any of that. That building looks nice. They maintain it. They're not causing us any grief. So 
that's that's been a really nice turn of events too. I wonder what you think of, I mean, just where these fears are coming from, and also what this story says about where the city city is politically on how to address the issue of homelessness. A lot of these fears might be based in perceptions or um, things that people think might be associated with people experiencing homelessness that would you know, result in, in a change in their neighborhood. I think the fact is many of the, the homeless people we're talking about are already living in the neighborhood, but they're living in a tent or they're living under a bridge. Supporters of this program would argue this is a way to actually get them in a more stabilized housing where you're not going to have those kind of spillover effects. I also think there's this kind of dirty little secret about this temporary housing program that elected officials at City Hall don't totally want to talk about, which is that many of these sites were approved in the midst of the COVID pandemic. What do we know about what was happening with local governments during the pandemic? Well, there were emergency orders that basically let them bypass normal processes and get these sites open quickly under this public health guise of, let's bring people indoors. Evans Lane, for example, the site that I went and visited, that moved forward in 2020 without a big up or down vote at the city council at that time. So it raises this idea that maybe the best way to deal with community pushback against homeless housing is to limit opportunities for community pushback against homeless housing. Now, I've put that question to the mayor, council members. That's not really a nice thought in their mind, right? They want to engage with residents. They want to be transparent. But in normal times, normal procedure, it's now going to take tough votes to move these sites forward. Guy, thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Guy Marzarati, a politics and government correspondent for KQED. He's also a producer of the Political Breakdown podcast. This 25-minute conversation with Guy was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Jalen Herdman is our intern. They scored this episode and added all the tape. Our senior editor is Alan Montecilio. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Peace. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.